Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 24th of May. I'm Robert Barwick, and I'm joined today by CEC leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. Been a while, but it's good well, to be welcome back. Welcome back then. Mm. Since you were gone, we've had an election, yeah, which we'll absolutely. talk about. All right, so on this week's CEC Report, with the election charade over, the economic emergency is revealed. And the latest revelation from Syria proves your media deliberately lies to you. So first, with the election charade over, the economic emergency is revealed. Craig, um, were you surprised by the election result? Actually, I was, Robbie, because so was look, I. all the opinion polls said Labor was going to win, but of course they didn't. Of course, now, I've, I found it staggering. You know, I've never been to an election like this, and I've been. We started the CEC 31 years ago. Clive Palmer spent on average $250 per vote that he got, Perfect. and didn't even get in. Right now, we spent under $20,000 for the full slate of candidates. That's in actually the in, yeah. in the Senate and and a couple of House of Representatives candidates. And our and our House of Representatives candidate in Corwell, just north of us here in the, around yeah. Burn, Keith Kerr, did quite well. Better, than, did Clive better than Clive Palmer's <laughs> candidate, which I found very interesting. But I mean, the, the electorate was very polarised. I think because Clive Palmer, you know, he just turned people off big time, Robbie. And and the other thing is that as we'll go through, the Labor Party didn't fight the issues that were necessary. No, that's that the cost of living issues. No, nah, didn't even raise it. Well, that's the, that's why we're calling this a charade, right? Because everyone, you're right, the the polls were wrong, and that's been a phenomenon around the world in recent years. United States. United Kingdom with Brexit, etc. You know, you can't trust these polls anymore. And in fact, there's an element, I'll make this comment now, one of the things that the polls were claiming was this was a climate change election, that, that for the majority of Australians, climate change was their number one issue. The vote proved that to be far from the truth. Elections are almost always economic elections, Craig. And the charade part is the performance of the Labor Party. And look, the... Um, you know, you see a lot of manipulation at the moment. So, for instance, the media is saying, oh, Bill Shorten made himself too big a target. He had too big and complicated an agenda and he was too far to the left. What a joke. That kind of spin is designed to spook the existing um, MPs that are left in the Labor Party to say, oh, we can't do that. We've got to go, We've got to, go to the centre, this, this, this myth mythical centre they talk about. Because the truth is... While Bill Shorten might have said, oh, this is the climate change election and he looked different than the government on that, on the fundamental issues on which people voted, which was what's affecting them in their economic existence every day, and that is the housing crisis, right? They are falling underwater with falling property prices in negative equity, etc. That is the cost of living. As we discussed here, they presented these self-funded retirees as if they're all fat cats, mm -hmm. when in fact they are self-funded retirees, but with the cost of living that everyone's affected by, they're barely getting by, yeah. right? And then they're told that's being, and, and Bill Shorten might be technically correct, but I wonder, Craig, with these technocrats running the Labor Party, <laughs> that they, do they look at the unemployment statistics? Do they look at the inflation statistics, which we know to be fraud? These are fraud. Do they look at them and go, oh, this is the true story, low unemployment, right, low inflation, oh, there must be a cost of living crisis. Let's just come up with these policies that, that people should be able to pay for. You know, they can't and they get the result they get. And they turn their back on the entire findings of the Royal Commission, the corruption, and they're not actually fighting or taking on the corruption in the banks and the whole banking system. Yeah. Now, that's, look, yeah. I've, I've, got some, I've got a list of those sort of things. So 
Um, Labor was instrumental, Craig, in getting the Royal Commission called. Now, I don't want to give them too much credit because all the minor parties and even rebel nationals had fought a much longer for a Royal Commission than the Labor Party, but it was when Bill Shorten backflipped on Labor's opposition in 2016 that that made it inevitable. Because once Labor decides to actually fight the government on something, it really puts the government under pressure and we had the Royal Commission. So we had the Royal Commission, the report was rigged, yeah, the final outcome was rigged. Labor MPs have admitted to me they know the terms of reference were rigged. But what did they do? They just decided after the Royal Commission final report came down, oh, we're just going to copy what the government does. Well, the government was provably, Scott Morrison provably for years protected bank crimes. Labor should have been persecuting him all around the country. Oh, no, no we're not going to touch that. And Labor then said to, to victims, bank victims, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, oh, we'll take care of you after the election. Well, if you're not going to fight on it, you're not giving the victims or any of the people who think this is an issue confidence that you're honest. Right? So that's one thing. I'll give you another example. There was a, there was a spying law rammed through Parliament yeah. in the, the two sitting days in April before the election. There were only two sitting days. The government's priority was to get this spying law rammed through in the, the, the post-Christchurch spying law, which gives them enormous powers to spy on us. Labor knew this was a bad law, but they voted for it, again, because they didn't want to fight on it before an election. Oh, we can't fight on national security. And they said to people, they said publicly, we will amend it when we get elected. <laughs> and they didn't get elected. Yep. Right? And the final one, I'll give you another example. There's a, there's a family of Sri Lankans that lived in Biloela for a number of years. A husband and wife and two beautiful little daughters. Tiny little girls. A year ago, more than a year ago, Peter Dutton's stormtroopers went in there in the middle of the night, dragged him out of bed, brought him down to Melbourne, put him behind razor wire here in a detention centre. Mm -hmm. The people of Biloela want this family there. Right? It doesn't matter that these that, that, that the ASIO or whoever tests this stuff says whether they're actually officially refugees or not. The people of Biloela want them there. But would, um, uh, would Bill Shorten commit to undoing Peter Dutton's dirty work and letting him go back to the... Oh, no. He said, oh, well, you know, I'm sympathetic, but I'll have to look at that after the election. Right? Well, if you're not going to fight on these things, don't expect the voters to have confidence in you and the difference, Craig, is with someone like Jeremy Corbyn in the United Kingdom. Yeah. Because Jeremy Corbyn, when Labor lost election like this in the United Kingdom in 2015 under Ed Miliband, the voters, the members turned to Jeremy Corbyn, the guy that they'd been told for 30 years was unelectable. He was so far on the fringe it wasn't funny. But he's the only man with credibility in the United Kingdom because he's consistently decided to fight on things rather than do what the polls say or those sort of things. And people know that what he says can be trusted. Yep. Right? And that's the lesson Labor has to learn. So we're telling CEC supporters and people who want to get, you know, we need to have action on the banks. We need Glass-Steagall, right? We need a national bank. We need an inquiry into the banks. They need to get, put heavy pressure on Labor now while they're trying to figure out what their new direction was going to be. Let's influence where this, is, this party's um, going to go on this. Um, so anyway, on, just on that, before we get into the, the actual details, because we'll take a break. So have a look at the, this latest Australian Alert Service. This is this week's issue. We've, the headline is, Labor failed on banks, failed in the election. And we make the points that we've, that we've largely just made there with a bit more detail. And what we do in the Almanac is we have a feature, four-page feature in the Almanac section. Where is Australian Labor's Jeremy Corbyn? And we go through what Jeremy Corbyn represents as a fundamental change in the United Kingdom. And, it's, and we're going to talk about Jeremy Corbyn a bit more later as well. But this is what people 
if you want to actually achieve something here um, in terms of reforming the financial system, help us put pressure on Labor to make sure they change in the right direction. Right? So call in and get a free copy of that if you haven't received one before, right? and get involved in the campaign. So, Craig, after, after that little editorial rant, yeah. let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk right. about this uh, economic emergency. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're talking with the election charade over, the economic emergency is revealed. So now, Craig, we've talked about the election charade, let's talk about the economic emergency, because holy cow, if I could say that. This Robbie, like, can as soon as it's over, bang. Look, yeah, look, look, this is where, as we were talking about before the break, a, le a leader like Jeremy Corbyn will have a landslide victory in three years' time. But not unless he actually addresses these issues and addresses them forcefully, which means turning his back and all the economic rationalism, all the neoconservative policies that are actually wrecking our country. Yep. And we've moved from an, an industrially based you know, manufacturing uh, economy into a service economy. And we're looking at what's taking place globally of a collapse of the global financial system, which has never been solved since the first global financial yep. crisis. And this is what the Morrison government is coming into. Mm. And they have you know, feet of clay when it comes to dealing with policies that actually have to be got rid of. And the only good news there is that at least because they will have to deal with the crisis, they won't Absol be able to blame it on the Labor Party. Well, that's the point. And this is, but you've got to have the right policies in place and you've got to have the people of integrity. So with, I don't know what's going to happen with Labor leadership, Well, let's, that's what we can influence. Well, let's look at the proof that there is an economic emergency because mm, by their actions speak louder than words, right? So no one, no, no one in authority is saying that, but look at the actual proof. So the first one is was actually the first clue came a week before the vote when at the Liberal Party launch when Scott Morrison announced his first home buyers 5% deposit scheme. This has got nothing to do with helping first home buyers into the market and making housing affordable. It's more affordable. It's all about pushing prices up, mm -hmm. making them less affordable. And ABC on Monday night did a, did, a, did a story on this policy where experts repeated what I've just said about that. They admit everyone knows that's what the intention is because that's what... Rudd did in 2008 with his tripled first home buyers grant. It was to get the market up. Yep. And they say, we're going to make it affordable. No, they've got no intention of that. And I saw an example, Craig, on this ABC 7.30 report. A, a single mum named Nadine, who's a trainee nurse. This woman is learning. She wants to devote her life, her working life, to helping people. She was excited about this deposit. She's living at home with her parents trying to save money for a house. She was excited about this. What she doesn't realise is she's being lured into a debt trap that will ruin her and when it does, when it ruins the other 10,000 people that are buying into a falling market, because that's what they're doing. It's a falling market. And if they've only got 5% deposit, that equity will be wiped out within weeks or you know, maybe a couple of months, right? Yeah. And um, when they get ruined, and hundreds of thousands of others who've been lured into this bubble over the last few years, the same people, Scott Morrison will tell them, oh, they have to take personal responsibility for their own decisions. Yes. Right? Caveat emptor. Let the buyer beware. No, this is fraud. This is a scam. And we have to hold the government to account for this. And I want to give you an example of how buying into a falling market can ruin you. Watch this um, clip from Channel 7 this week here in Melbourne about a, a statistic where what they call Greenfields Lots, which is brand new developments where people buy the lot, put mm -hmm. down a deposit for the lot, and then they have to pony up the full amount at settlement time. The, the defaults on that is 27%. Just watch this clip on, on what's happened to this family. 
Hundreds of Melbourne families are panic-selling housing blocks as they face financial ruin. They're the big losers facing big losses in a land crisis. Nick McCallum has the details of a Seven News investigation and Nick, they're thousands of dollars out of pocket. That's right, Peter. We're seeing cases where they're losing as much as $110,000. It's hitting hard in the new developments in Melbourne's north and west. These are the people who put down money on blocks during the boom and now face financial ruin because of the property downturn and tight lending rules. One in three cannot pay up. Some are so desperate, they're even trying to sell the blocks on Gumtree. For this couple, expecting their first child, a dream becomes a nightmare. To be honest, I'm speechless. I don't even have words to express it. In 2017, Sakpreet Singh bought a housing estate block for $400,000, paying a 10% deposit. That was hard-earned money, mate. I have worked, I drive a truck interstate, I've worked days and nights for the last couple of years, leaving my family behind. But at settlement time, his block value had plummeted. The bank valued it at just 350000 and would only lend enough for that. So he had to find an extra 50000 He says the bank then doubled the deposit, refused to finance the $20,000 stamp duty and Sakpreet suddenly had to pay $110,000 more. I remember the day when I called him I was still driving and I was shaking and I was shivering and I just lost it. Um, it was just like I've lost everything. Mate. And if he could not pay, he'd lose the block, his original deposit and face daily penalties. They're just playing with young lives, mate. And, and, and it's a widespread, heartbreaking problem. And it's 27% uh, default rate at the moment in Melbourne. Such a huge problem on Gumtree, 1,000 blocks, like Sikpreet's, are up for sale. They just want their deposit back, what they have paid to the developer. Eventually, Sikpreet scraped together the funds he needed. Experts say there are thousands like Sikpreet, caught up in a real estate perfect storm, buying at the top of the market, value plummeting before settlement, and the banks refusing to lend more because they've been belted by the Royal Commission. Many too has gone through the same common nightmare. A lot of people I do know, they'll be leaving their um, deposits and just you know move on. Like so many, this couple is now stuck here. That happiness won't come now. Even though today I have settled, I still don't want to be there. I hate it. Nick McCallum, 7 News. So Robbie, what you said before this clip, the default rate in this area now is 27%. That is absolutely astonishing. And these are all young people yep. with young families or potentially young families that are being saddled with this and it's a total scam. I mean, a block of land for $400,000 way out there yep. where there's no services whatsoever yep. is, is absolutely astonishing. But, you know, the real value of a property like that is, is a quarter. Of course. And that's where we have a policy, Craig. We Let's not get into it in detail now. But our, our policy is, look... Australians should actually accept that we've got to let prices fall. They should fall a lot. But we can do things with legislation to make sure no one loses their home when it happens. That's right. right? And the end result will be making housing affordable again. And that's either controlled and run by the government or it's going to happen chaotic. It'll happen anyway. That's right. That's right. No, that's right. 
Okay, so that was the first sign a week before with this, uh, this stupid policy they announced and Labor backed it straight away because Labor's in the tank with the, on, with the system on this, unfortunately. The second, it's what's happened straight after the poll though that's stunning. APRA, the bank regulator, announced that the pol this long-standing policy that all mortgages, the banks, when they write a mortgage, they have to assess the affordability of the mortgage to the borrower against a benchmark interest rate of 7%. That if interest rates go jump up to 7%, Will this borrower afford it, right? And that gives a, that gives a buffer. Well, APRA saying, okay, scrap that, right? We, we won't have that anymore. Right, so that in, was... In, 1980, uh, in 1980s and 85, I had a small business loan, which was 18.5%. My mortgage was 15% in 1985. So people think, oh, this can't happen. It's already happened. Yeah, no, that's right. And, and all the old timers will agree with you. Not that you're an old timer. All the old timers. <laughs> I'm okay. getting that way, Robbie. The third sign: the Reserve Bank Governor two days ago gave a speech, and it's the strongest indication that in June, when they meet, they will slash interest rates. So, this is these are emergency measures, Craig. Yes. What they're doing. This is not a good economy. By their actions, they are going. You know, in, when the when the, the RBA, the Treasury, APRA, and ASIC get together in this Council of Financial Regulators. They are in there wetting their pants and they and the government are lying to you, saying everything's good. No, it's not good. They are packing it, right? They're wetting their pants and they're doing these emergency measures. Why? Because it's an economic emergency. And what we have to do is call it for what it is and force them to actually change the system with real reforms. And here's the other part about it, though, just in the time we've got. There's no guarantee any of this will work. No. Okay, and I'll tell you why. Because, and we'll do some more shows on this in the coming weeks, a big part of pushing the prices in the property market back up, which is what this is all designed to do, in the last decade was fraud, outright fraud, and the banks are scared to go back to that crate, yeah. right, because of the Royal Commission. So we have to see how that plays out. But that's why we're pushing for solutions like Glass-Steagall to protect, get a firewall between you, the consumer, and the crisis, yeah. right? Anyway, so let's take a quick break. and we come back, we'll talk about Syria. Welcome back to the CEC Report. Finally, the latest revelation from Syria proves that your media deliberately lies to you. So here's the proof, Craig. Remember a year ago, April 2018, April 7th, 2018, there was a chemical weapons attack in the Damascus suburb of Douma. Bashar al-Assad, the butcher, the monster, is gassing his own people. That was the news. You saw pictures for a week on the you know, little kids in the hospital getting doused with water, etc. We'll put some of those images up there. And America, Britain and France, defending freedom, bombed them in response, right? And Malcolm Turnbull and Bill Shorten rushed to say, yes, we support those airstrikes. <laughs> well, as usual, one politician in the Western world, the Anglosphere, the only one, the same one, Jeremy Corbyn questioned it. And I'll play you the clip on when he's on the BBC, and it's <laughs> look how mildly spoken he is, and he everyone just monstered him for saying this. I've no problem with their reporting, their investigation, or the quality of it, but they must be given the chance to do it now. There is evidence, of course, very strong evidence about the use of chlorine which is not itself a banned substance because it's so easy to make, but clearly as a weapon it is illegal. Uh, that mm. has been used by a number of parties in the conflict, but there's quite clear evidence there. The OPCW must be given the chance to report on it. They are, after all, on their way to Duma. They may even be there now. 
They are there now, I think, and we've got reports in the papers of the smell of chlorine coming from Indeed, the, the clothes of children and so Indeed, forth. Sir. If they came back and said, yes, this was Assad's regime, there was one helicopter above it, and this was a chemical attack against international law, would you then be in favour of using missiles? To I would then say, confront Assad with that, that evidence, mm. confront any other group that may be fingered because of that, any other, maybe, I'm saying maybe, I don't know, and then say they must now come in and remove and destroy those weapons as they did in 2013, 2015. Bill, for saying that, Craig, Bill, uh, Jeremy Corbyn was attacked by his own Labour members of Parliament. I'll say, put up a headline about that. People like, because they're, they're, they're Blairites. They, they mm -hmm. hate him, actually. They're followers of Tony Blair, the war criminal. And they're kind of politicians like, unfortunately, Bill Shorten, dare I say it. Um, but anyway, the Organisation for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons did its investigation. That, that Corbyn said, let it do its investigation first, but no, the, the, the country's bombed it first. But they did their investigation, and they released their final report in March this year, and it was weak, and it was inconclusive. It was unable to say for sure that a chlorine attack had even happened, let alone who did it. But it did say this. It said, if it did happen, it was likely delivered by two canisters dropped from a helicopter, Right. Now, we look at the pictures we're going to be putting on the screen here now. This report had modelling in it. The report released in March had modelling in it, which defied the laws of physics. They claimed that one supposedly smashed through a steel-reinforced concrete roof, inexplicably bounced sideways off a bare floor without damaging it, and landed on top of a bed three to four metres away, right, with no damage to the canister. The other is supposed to have struck the roof um, similarly head-on, punching a hole in it bigger than its own diameter, but instead of falling through as gravity and momentum would demand, it apparently reversed course, laid over sideways on the roof with its nose over the hole so, so as to leak gas in below, right? And in the report, they didn't name the experts who did this modelling. So people said, well, hang on, why was this engineering modelling done, done months afterwards when the OPCW was there a week later when they could have done an actual engineering report right at the time? Well, it turns out, Craig, they did do an engineering report right at the time. And the report by Ian Henderson, an OPCW engineer of 20 years' experience, a top guy in the OPCW, exonerated the Syrian army and said, there's no way these canisters came down from the sky. They were, prob they were most likely planted in position, right, i.e. for propaganda purposes. Yep. Now, why don't the viewers know that? For two reasons. The OPCW, Organisation for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, suppressed their own engineer's report in their final report. It has now been leaked. Half a month ago it got leaked. And the media is not reporting it. The main right. media that told you all about this attack a year ago is refusing to report this leak that proves the Syrian government didn't do it. So, Craig, this is yet lies about weapons of mass destruction by the same people who've always told the same lies and repeated by the same media isn't this why we question them, the lies they claim, including about when they talk about China? I think that? it's self-evident, Robbie. I mean, look, this is so outraged. People should get a copy of the alert service and read about what we've written it's about It's detailed this. in there. Yep. It's detailed in there. But look, if this is so... Look, they're trying to promote the need for regime change. It's failed in many countries in the Middle East, and they're trying to do this against now against China, would you believe? And Which Iran. Is absolutely insane. And Iran. So this is insane... And this is, you know, this is why people should not believe what they read in the media. Watch the CC report. Question, question everything. Right? Question everything. When it comes from these neocons, question everything. Yeah. All right, Craig, thanks for joining us again yeah, thanks, after Robbie. your sabbatical. Thanks <laughs> to the viewer for tuning in. Remember, get a copy of this if you need one, and tune in next week for more.